of the global revolution. As always, we are the coolest guys around because we are going to bring to you all the wrestling which may be falling under your radar. It is a very special episode because we are going to be wrapping up 2018, giving out some end-of-year awards, talking about some of our favorite stuff. It's going to be awesome, and we're going to bring it all to you. And I do, of course, say weeks. I could not, would not, should not do this by myself. I am joined by a wonderful man. He's my friend, and he should be yours. He's called Jeff. Jeff, say hello. Hello, everybody out there in podcast and internet land. Jeff here, Miz fan there. 2018 is in the rearview mirror. It's, we're passing by it. It's almost gone. Wave goodbye, everybody. 2018 is no longer here, but I'm going to spend one last week here on the Global Revolution talking about 2018. As Ms. Fan said, we're beginning giving out some awards, some uh, taking a look at the year that has passed, giving out some uh, just some notable, uh, just talking about some of the more notable things, the wrestlers, the matches, the moments in 2018 that really left a mark on us so good that we want to give them some uh, awards. So that's what we're going to be doing on this week's episode of the Global Revolution. Um, just like last year, I kind of tried to formulate we should cover uh, this year for awards. Um, last year, I do believe we did we did companies, um, but I get the feeling that this year we're probably um, if we had, probably would have ended up with a very similar top three or top <laughs> five. You know, Chikara, Dragon Gate, uh, WXW, Lucha Underground probably would have been about um, all in the same places that they were last year. I had the feeling, um, so I kind of wanted to avoid doing that this year. Beginning out um, awards for our five. Uh, top moments of the year, top three uh, in-ring matches, and our top five wrestlers of the year. So once again, that's top five moments. Uh, generally, things like heel turns, um, you know, returns to the ring, a big storyline moments, uh, championship wins and victories. Things that aren't necessarily actual outright matches from beginning to end. Um, it was the sort of a qualifier there, um, as well as our top three. Uh, matches of 2018 and our top five wrestlers of 2018. It's going to be a, uh, a a big show, I think. Going to be talking about a whole bunch of things, covering a whole bunch of stuff from basically everywhere in the world of pro wrestling. So it's uh, it's going to be a good one. I I think it's going to be um, a lot of fun. So Miz fan, let's uh let us begin. I'd say. All right, let's do it. You, as you said, were kind enough to put together the format here, so I'm willing to follow your lead. Where do you want to start, my friend? All right, so the first thing we're going to do, um, figure to sort of get us, you know, dipping our toes into a little bit, we'll be talking about our top five moments of the year. Uh, talk about those, uh, those just happenings in the wrestling world, big, small, just momentous, and, you know, things that stood out to us. Like I said, once again, things like championship wins. Face or heel turns, returns to a company, just, you know, um, big storyline moments, whether they're storylines beginning, storylines ending, just big uh, momentous occasions on those. Um, there was just 2018. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on. You know, this covers Chikara. This covers Lucha Underground, WXW, Dragon Gate, New Japan. Um, you know, just just there's a whole lot. So there's a whole lot, and we're going to go kind of as we did last year. We'll go five to one, sort of alternating uh, here and there between us. Ms. Fan, why don't you begin with our, with your, I should say, top five moment of the year, number five. All right. Well, my uh, number five moment is uh, a little bit broad, but I think uh, you really 
will not be able to talk about 2018 without uh, at least making mention of this. Uh, I'm going to specifically zero in and say my number five moment of the year was all in that show. Whether whether you loved it or not, in terms of the wrestling, whether you liked some of it, whether you know it was uh, partly for you, partly not. Even if you didn't like the wrestling, uh, you can't deny that the first time in North America uh, for a, uh, a non-WWE promotion to draw this kind of crowd uh, in like 15 years or whatever the statistic was, uh, is really amazing. And, uh, I think has really just gone on to show people the, uh, intense potential of the independent scene. And, uh, even looking forward now to, uh, AEW and, uh, more promotions being on TV than I think we've uh, had in a very long time, more people getting opportunities, all that stuff all going in together and it all kind of centers around all in, um, just the uh, momentous accomplishment of that show. So I got to give a shout out there. That is my number five moment of the year, all in, going down in Chicago, and uh, everything that went along with it. Now that is a uh, that is a good shout out. Um, all in, not the show for me, but to talk about this as an accomplishment, really, I think you have to really put it into perspective. This is, you know, a huge North American show, whole bunch of stars coming together to put on, you know, this independently produced show that, you know, is now going to have, I think, you know, long reaching, you know, um, effects on the wrestling world. As we mentioned, you know, AEW all elite wrestling is a thing that's happening. Um, you know, it's just, it, it proved, I think the strength of not only what the world of, you know, non WWE, non mainstream wrestling, uh, can do, but also from a fan perspective, really showed um, what you know you can accomplish when you focus on. I think you know making the fans happy and following through on the things you set up, um, which is really I think the biggest thing you can take away from uh, the Young Bucks and Cody and Kenny Omega and everybody involved in All In. They had a target audience. They appealed to them through their shows and their uh, various activities, both online and in the ring. They set up a show for it, and they delivered on basically everything they promised and set out to do, and the result was all in, highly profitable, highly fun, interesting show. Um, good shout-out there. Good shout-out there for your number five. My number five um, moment of the year, very uh, kind of similar in scale, but on the uh, other side of the world. Number five for me is the Dragon Gate split. That happened uh, earlier in the year with, um, uh, as you may or may not have known, uh, Shima uh, essentially split off from uh, Dragon Gate, taking a few guys, including Takahiro Yamamura, El Lindeman, and T-Hawk, um, away from Dragon Gate to found uh, a very similar, I guess, still still technically related, but um, not quite under the same uh, strict umbrella that Dragon Gate is currently do their own stuff with companies like OWE in uh, China, as well as uh, Wrestle One in Japan. They're doing their own thing as the Strong Hearts Stable. Um, also signed to uh, 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 AEW, actually. There's some work between AEW Ooh. and uh, OWE and the Strong Hearts units. that is interesting. That's, uh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Yes, that's one of the things uh, revealed recently. But, um, yes, Dragon Gate, you know, for a long time had been very um, – I don't know quite how to describe it, but, you know, Shima was a big part of that company. And then earlier this year, I think uh, right around the time, maybe right after, I think it was Dead or Alive, 
I definitely remember this happening in about May or so. Um, suddenly there was news um, that, you know, their president, uh, Okamura, had stepped down, would be being replaced by uh, President uh, Kido, and Shima was uh, stepping away from Drangate, their ace, their longtime you know, face of the company, Shima, was taking uh, Yamamura, El Linda Man, and T-Hawk away from the company to start doing their own things. Um, as far as the company goes, this would lead to some other various things happening. We did eventually see Shingo um, leaving the company as well, joining uh, Los Ingobernables de Japón in New Japan, which just barely made the cut. I was really having an argument with myself <laughs> which one of those two things were going to end up uh, on this list. So for me, I ended up going with the uh, the sort of Dragon Gate split Overall, as uh, Dragon Gate continues to sound it kind of uh, find its footing in the uh, in the uh, aftermath of this, while the uh, Strong Hearts guys um, have been apparently doing really, really well for themselves in places like China and Wrestle One. Um, as mentioned, they're doing some stuff with uh, OWE. Their popularity has never been higher. Um, Seahawk, actually, if I I don't remember what the company was, might be Wrestle One. Um, he's actually a uh, world champion. Right now, or a top champion in a company, which um, I think might explain why um, he decided to go along with that uh, split after some uh, work in uh, Dragon Gate not going his way. So, yes, for me, number five, the Dragon Gate split between Shima and the rest of the company. Interesting stuff. Just God, this year had a whole bunch of things happening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely so. And uh, I think it's really telling just how much goes into this. Um, People not familiar with Dragon Gate might not completely grasp the significance. Um, I'm not even sure that I do, honestly. Um, but uh, Shima stepping away, you know, it's not a perfect comparison, but it's not unlike if John Cena suddenly split away and started doing, like, his own promotion uh, or his own group of guys in uh, in the United States. Because Shima, I mean, is very core to Dragon Gate for, what, close to... 20 years, like, like beyond, 20 years, I'd say. Yeah, beyond, mm-hmm. like, when Dragon Gate was a thing, back to Toriumon, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, very significant as far as he goes. And uh, I was really impressed um, just to kind of look over the things he's done. And, uh, like, th- there's a, a really clear case, I think, for Chima being a huge draw in Japan because he has popped big gates for Wrestle 1, bigger than they've done before. He's popped big numbers for DDT, working over there. He's created all this buzz. You know, I'm not even, uh, I, I couldn't even say for sure if I'm a big fan of Chima the Wrestler. Uh, not that I dislike him. It's just that he never seemed to be doing a lot when we watched Dragon Gate. Um, and, you know, that could be for any number of reasons. But, man, uh, yeah, hugely significant, both for Dragon Gate and for Japan in general, I think, so, uh, and for China, and now maybe even for America, mentioning uh, the AEW connection. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about that, uh, no doubt. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. So, Ms. Fan, now that we've talked about our number fives, what is your number four moment of the year? Well, my number four moment of the year uh, is going to be a bit more of a personal one. Um, I was able to uh, attend, I think, just one live wrestling uh, event this year, and that was King of Trios. I was able to be there for uh, all three nights of that show for the first time uh, in a couple years. And um, I just got to say, the whole experience was really phenomenal. It always is pretty much when uh, I go out to see Chikara, or any show, but Chikara especially, I think uh, really has a masterfully great live experience. Um, and just the whole weekend, you know, the being able to 
watch Molly Holly wrestle and meet her, um, you know, in intermission or whatever. That that was just amazing by itself. Being able to see PCO live, being able to uh, catch up with a bunch of Jakar guys that I have uh, met at other shows, and uh, just the story of the tournament itself. With uh, after so long going, um, finally having a Chikara home team win the tournament after like I think three years of, uh, of outsiders winning it and just the masterful way that was all put together um I really can't say enough good things about that weekend about that tournament I think uh, it was just wonderful wonderful experience that that's definitely in my top five moments for 2018 oh that's that is excellent you know glad hey glad you managed to get out to king of trios even if you're gonna do only one show a year if you can. I think uh, King of Trio is definitely the uh, best way to go about uh, making up for the lack of any other shows. Because three nights, 16 teams, so many uh, stars in the uh, world of wrestling coming together. Um, definitely want to say, won't reveal too much, but that's definitely uh, something on King of Trios actually makes my number three moment of the year. So yeah, when we talk it. about that, I'll get to that. But uh, I mean, a good call there. Uh, my number four moment of the year was the return of Ilya Dragunov uh, at yes. 16 karat gold, uh, night two, um, which will also be uh, something else I talk about later in the show as well. But um, just to sort of set up the moment, you know, Ilya had been taken out by Bad Bones, genuinely just nastily injured, you know, put on the shelf for a little bit. Um, it would eventually, the uh, storyline would eventually focus on Bad Bones and Walter leading into 16 karat gold. Walter, you know, challenging him for the WXW Unified World Wrestling Championship. He's ready to take that off of the leader of Rise and bring his uh, tyrannical reign over WXW to an end. Um, but that night, before the match began, you know, with both men out there, both Walter and Bad Bones, Walter got on the microphone, and he revealed that he had uh, cashed in a favor. He had pulled some strings. He had gotten into the ear of the WXW board of uh, directors, their championship committee, and convinced them to change the match from a singles match to a triple threat match involving the freshly returning Ilya Dragunov, who got a momentous pop during this. Just, you know, huge reaction lit up the crowd. Um, once again, I'm going to talk about that more about the actual match in and of itself later. Um, <laughs> it's no spoilers there, but um, just just that moment, him returning, you know, being able to actually see the sort of live version on WXW's uh, Twitter feed, um, you know, his music playing and just the actual reaction from the audience, everybody just losing their minds even in sort of uh, their recorded, slightly muted, uh, covered up with um, rock music uh, version on WXW's uh, service, you still just could absolutely see how much the fans were enjoying this. So for me, my number four moment of the year, Ilya Dragunov returns at 16 karat gold, night two. Yeah, no, what what a moment that was indeed. Um, it was... Uh... 
<sighs> really quite incredible to see the fan reaction. I think everyone was really pulling for Ilya to win the um, WX, WXW title in 2017 uh, and kind of at his big opportunity. He fell short, and I think a lot of people were deflated about that at the time, and then with him stepping away, spent time with his family, really nothing was kind of known for sure about how that was all going to pan out, but it really all paid off uh, in that moment and in that match, and uh, you're right, I don't know if I saw a bigger crowd reaction all year. The only thing I'm not sure, maybe you know this better than I do, um, I was trying, I was thinking about this actually, um, Mm -hmm. because I was considering it for my list, and... uh, why I'm trying to like if I were going to show this to someone else, I'm trying to think how I would explain Walter putting Ilya in the match and basically you know potentially costing himself the title because you know Walter may well have been able to win it here if not for Ilya coming in. So what what would you say if someone asked you about that detail? Oh, uh, that would be be kind of hard. It, it's potentially that he had um, at this point enough respect for Ilya that him returning. Um, he felt that was going to be a bigger moment for the company and, um, you know, Ilya than it would be for himself. Maybe just kind of had to give that up for him. But the other thing I think you could point to was at this point, Rise was still an absolute monster of a stable. Mm-hmm. Bad Bones still had his hands around the throat of the company, even if um, uh, Rise was having some eternal issues, with, especially with uh, Pete Bouncer and Ivan Kiev. Um, beat bouncer not necessarily loving uh, bad bones and Kiev trying to decide between you know his good friend and his boss. Um, you know this would have been a time to potentially do something momentous, do something big, do something you know that would have you know taken the rise train off the rails. Um, and I think Walter maybe understood that. You know, yeah, sure I can come in here and I can you know potentially win the title, but you know. He's got Rise behind him. You know, who knows how that's going to go down. But if I bring in a third person, another person who really, you know, hates Rise and hates Bad Bones as much as I do, that's going to throw um, just just something into that machine and, you know, be able to rock it a little bit more. But, you know, potentially high, more highly guarantee that uh, this goes down the way I want it to go down at least in terms of getting the title off of uh, John Klinger. And I I think you can kind of point to that as being, you know, one of the big reasons it ended up happening. You know, everybody disliked Rise. Everybody, including his own stablemates, in some instances, hated John Badbones Klinger. They just, they they couldn't stand him, didn't like what he was doing. And Walter, you know, (laughs) having respect for Ilya, having been beaten by him in the previous 16-karat gold tournament, uh, maybe just wanted to throw him some appreciation, throw, show him some respect, and also do his damnedest to get the title off of Bad Bones. So I, I, I think that's a uh, a good enough reason. I don't know if that is quite the actual reason, but uh, I think that could definitely be uh, worked out as such. Yep, yep, I like both of those a lot, and as you're talking, I thought of even a third one. We know Ilya Dragunov defeated Walter in uh, the 2017 16-karat gold tournament and uh, has defeated him ever since, so perhaps Walter also wondering if he might get a chance to uh, finally get one up on Ilya in this match as well. So uh, I think between those three reasons, uh, you have plenty enough to justify how it all came together, uh, as if the momentous crowd reaction was not enough in and of itself. So great pick. Really dig it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Ms. Fan, what is your number three moment of the year as we get ever closer to that number one spot? What is your Indeed. number three of 2018? Well, my number three spot, uh, one that came really close to the end of the year, and uh, I think it was significant for a lot of people, at least insofar as uh, they are fans of Chikara, uh, and that would have to be the turn of Dasher Hatfield, something I think uh, we never thought we'd see, something we didn't think we wanted to see, but as always, Chikara... Superior storytelling has made it uh, really one of the most interesting things that could have possibly happened. Uh, after defending the Chikara Grand Championship as an uh, interim Grand Champion, after his uh, partner, Mr. Touchdown Mark Angelicetti, suffered an injury right after winning the title, um, you see Dasher having defended it all through the back half of the year, uh, going through a lot of tough competitions to hold on to that title, not for himself, but for his partner. Um, but then uh, at the very end, as he's come through all of this, Mr. Touchdown comes back. He's ready to take the title back. He's cleared. Seems like everything should be good to go. But Dasher, for reasons that we still don't know for sure, won't let go of that title and actually decks his longtime partner, Mark Angelo City. Um, and yeah, like I said, this is not something that we thought would happen. Not something we necessarily wanted to happen, but yeah, I don't know. Just everything that's gone into it, I, I can't wait to see what comes next. It was shocking. Um, it was a very meaningful character moment. It was really everything I look for in wrestling, and uh, I can't wait to see where it goes from there. Uh, that is a that is a good pick. Um, I, I think what really helped this is I wish they had actually done more of this in the uh, general lead-up through his uh, actual uh, reign of sorts as interim grand champion, but Ophidian's, you know, pointing out that, you know, maybe he didn't really deserve uh, Dasher Hatfield, that is. You know, he hadn't earned the points properly to be Grand Champion. He hadn't really um, done what was necessary to become Grand Champion. He simply had a title handed to him to defend in the stead of his step-cousin-in-law. Um, basically, you know, saying that he wasn't a worthy Grand Champion. And you know, that's just got to eat and gnaw at you, holding a title that isn't even yours and being told, you know, outright that, you know, despite everything you've done for a company, every time you have fought for a company, you know, how much the company means to you, how much you represent that company, the way Dasher Hatfield does Chikara, to still do all of that and be told that you are not worthy of being grand champion, that you do not deserve the title around your waist, even as you defend it for someone else. Let's just eat at the soul. I think if they had done a little bit more of that throughout, you know, the whole build, this would have been even more impactful. But for what it was, once again, just didn't see it coming. Don't know if we wanted to see it coming, but it has happened. And Chikara is going to have to deal with the reckoning of that in 2019. And for one, I cannot wait to see how that goes. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to stick in Chikara for my number three moment of the year. Because my number three moment, um, as Miss Fan mentioned with King of Trios, is actually the sort of reemergence and coalescence of the new version of the colony, highlighted at King of Trios by them winning the whole tournament. Um, Fire Ant had been on very interesting character arc over the last few seasons. We've watched him lose many, if not every last stablemate of his. He was the last ant standing. Soldier Ant is gone. Silver Ant is gone, Worker Ant, even, you know, 
part-time friends like Pharaoh Ant and Amasa's and Pink Ant in Pinky Sanchez making one final appearance. All of them taken out like some Frightmare. And just – he was the last guy, the last person so angry, so frustrated, so depressed in this realization that he even was violently angry against these two newcomers in Thief Ant and the new Green Ant. You know, putting on the masks of the ants and, you know, picking up the name of the colony, just refused to acknowledge them in any positive light to the point where he even teamed up with Fist, is the eternal rivals of the colony. He teamed up with them in something just – it was just a bizarre moment. Eventually, Fire Ant seemed to realize the error of his ways. The uh, the new rookies, Green Ant, Thief Ant, maybe broke through to him and eventually got him to sort of turn a page, turn over a new leaf, maybe get back to his roots and accept them as a colony. But they didn't quite – they weren't quite there when they were booked in King of Trios as the Resistance. They weren't quite there at the beginning. But through many matches, through their struggles to get to the finals, especially against teams like the Proteus Wheel and their eventual uh, finals opponents in the First Order of the Nations um, – Eventually, it finally happened. You know, after you know two previous matches of Fire Ant only seeming marginally interested in helping um, his comrades in King of Trios, finally, 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 all three of them started to work together as a absolute, you know, co- cohesive unit. To the point when they won King of Trios, when they finally emerged as the champions of the tournament. Fire Ant proudly proclaimed them not to be the resistance, but truthfully, the colony. My number three moment of the year, the colony coming back together this year at uh, King of Trios 2018. Yeah, no, I, this uh, one of my favorite stories going through the year. Uh, colony in all their forms, probably my favorite stable uh, of the whole year in a lot of different ways, just because they did mm-hmm. have such a great angle running through the whole thing they had uh so many great matches uh some against each other a lot together after they did join forces uh in the uh latter half of the year absolutely great stuff loved uh, not just the work of fire ant which was great not just green ant and defense stepping up as uh, as rookies who really did an excellent job but appearances as you said from from others from worker ants making several appearances in this feud despite being Mostly retired, as far as I can tell. Uh, even, I, 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 I think we must have mentioned it at least, Soldier Ant appearing mm-hmm. uh, briefly, which is ridiculous. It's something definitely nobody thought would happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you look at the significance of all this, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't see how you could possibly argue. Just a great, great story running through the year, one that I would strongly recommend to everyone and I will think back on fondly for years to come. Mm-hmm. Just uh, Once again, just want to shout out Chikara, just the masters of storytelling in the pro wrestling world. Ms. Fan, we've got two more slots each for our moments of the year. What is your number two moment of 2018? Well, one uh, is one that I know is also on your list, so maybe we can both talk about it. I think we got to talk about the events of Ultima Lucha Quattro. And, uh, uh, I, I will just quickly say, also, my number two moment of the year. Absolutely. Oh, well, so. then, why don't you start us off, and we'll, we'll oh, dive man. right into it. Whew. Ultima Lucha Quattro. Um, broken up into two parts this year. First part, uh, 
was was more was more match based in terms of you know everything it represented. Uh, but part two, Ultima Lucha Quattro this year had who it had a lot. It certainly did. It had um, there was stuff involving the Gauntlet. Um, you know, in the last second it was handed to Black Lotus to kill Matanza. Uh-huh. Black Lotus, you know, kills Matanza, hands it back to El Dragon Azteca, and you think, oh, okay, that's it. Except it's not. Because the, at the then time, new Lucha Underground champion, um, the savage Jake Strong comes in and attacks him and takes the gauntlet. I um, mean, we find out, you know, there might be a new god residing in Taya after her apparent uh, possession by. Uh, Ricky Mundo's doll. There was, um, God, what else was there? There was the reveal of, uh, oh, what's his name? Hexagon uh, Dark. Hexagon, Hexagon Dark, yes. Um, you know, just when you thought, uh, Pentagon had really, you know, conquered his demons and, you know, become beloved face of the temple and retained his title, Hexagon Dark is, uh, the master of Vampiro appears in the temple and takes him out, allowing Jake Strong to become the champion. Uh, God, there was just, there was the reveal of the, the mysterious man, this mysterious smoking man for, uh, that, that coalesive group involving, uh, uh, Dario Cueto's father, Antonio Cueto and agent winter and everybody involved. Turns out it's Wade Barrett. And, you know, that was, you know, big enough on its own, but the biggest thing, probably the biggest moment of everything on this show, is the reveal at the end, as Aerostar returns to the moment in which Dario Cueto is being buried and seemingly brings him back to life. Just, just, I, I might be missing details, but there was a whole lot that happened <laughs> in, on part two of Ultima Lucha Quattro that just Really, it has to be seen to be believed, has to be followed to really get that impact. But, oh, my God, I genuinely – you cannot talk about 2018 without talking about Ultima Lucha Quattro and specifically all the just random, weird, just awesome things that happened storyline-wise uh, on the tail end of that episode because there was a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely so. You've touched on, I think, as far as I can remember, uh, all the big things, everything that I also wanted to discuss. Uh, from the final fate of Matanza uh, being very poetic and with the appearance of uh, Black Lotus, who, yeah, goodness knows if uh, we'll ever see her again. Um, but, uh, you know, she she kind of had the scene that she was meant to have the whole time, and it was just just about perfect. Um one of my favorite things, yeah, coming out of Ultima Lucha Quattro was just think, oh, like just dissecting this team of gods. Um, you know, like who's a god? Who's got a god inside them? Who might be a god that we don't know about? Uh, are there more gods? Are there seven? You know, you don't know. Um, and uh, there's just so much that goes into it. And then, yeah, with Dario Cueto, the true protagonist of Lucha Underground, returning uh, literally to life. In the final moments, uh, I could not be more excited for the potential of a season five, and I would really like for it to be confirmed already, but we still don't know for sure. So, um, very, very much hoping that we see that because, uh, 
man, that that ending was just too good not to follow up on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll be happening in 2019. Um, I don't know if it'll be happening in 2020. I don't know if it'll be happening ever, but you know I'm going to keep my eyes and ears perked to see if there's at least an announcement of Lucha Underground Season 5. As you know, mm-hmm. us here on the Global Revolution, we will be covering that extensively when slash if it does happen. Indeed. I think Lucha Underground, uh, when they are on, and in fairness, they were not always on, I think, in Season 4, but when they are on, I think there's very little better in all of wrestling. Um, and yeah, I just, I really hope that this story is allowed to continue um, to uh, to a proper ending. You know, even if that, even if they need to make Season 5 the last season, uh, I would much rather have that than, uh, than nothing at all. So, so here's to more Lucha Underground. Very very hopeful that it will be uh, confirmed and happening and hopefully not too far out. Cause I feel like the longer they wait, the more people uh, kind of lose some interest. So I uh, don't, don't want that to happen. want to see it come back strong. want to enjoy it again. And uh, yeah, can't wait to see it. Indeed. 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 Share all those sentiments myself. Ms. Ray, we're here for our moments list. What is your number one moment of 2018? My number one moment uh, has got to be the feud that more than any other just just sucked me in, just made me want to see the ending, made me want to see a certain guy get the crap beaten out of him. It changed the way I look at wrestlers. It changed the way I looked at uh, more than one thing, to be honest. Uh, and it all boiled down to one single solitary moment where Travis Huggabee smacked Solo Darling in the face in the middle of of a match where they were supposed to be partners. They were supposed to be together again, even if Travis didn't necessarily want it that way. Um, but yeah, just, uh, oh, look what happened. Everything about this story was so great. And I encapsulated to that moment, but it really was so great all the way through. Um, it goes all the way back to two years ago with Solo Darling just coming into the company, Travis working as a referee under Travis, last name unnecessary, uh, to just very nondescript people, all things considered. Um, but it all sort of slowly started rolling along. Solo Darling started to be uh, bullied by Max Smashmaster, who I dearly miss, um, and Travis stepping in despite being a referee, despite being about half the size of Max, and trying to help her out, trying to help her fight off this uh, monstrous guy. Travis segueing into the ring, proving to be a natural, quickly winning over fans, uh, just uh, being very technically sound and uh, having a really good-natured personality, uh, even revealing privately in that series of videos they did that he has some feelings for Solo Darling, but because he was too shy to uh, express them, he instead ended up becoming her tag team partner, thus birthing the Rumblebees. Uh, And this is a team, even then, that I wasn't really necessarily that interested in at first, but man, they won me over just by having match after match where you could feel the chemistry coming through, you could feel all the good stuff about this team coming together. Um, You know, I'll say it, I was totally wrong about about this team, about both people in it. Uh, both of them really grew into one of, into two of my favorites. Travis uh, as really an exceptional rookie and solo darling, just working so unbelievably hard to improve her wrestling game to the point where now she's honestly a person that I seek out consistently, you know, when she goes to other companies and stuff. I'm a huge solo darling fan now. 
Um, all the way, they took this team to the Campeonato de Parejas, the tag team titles of Chikara, only to lose them minutes later due to a double cross from Los Ice Creams. And from there, just nothing seemed to go right. And then we get to 2018, the Tag World Grand Prix. Before the event, Travis told Solo if they were not able to win the tournament, he was going to split the team. And even though this was very upsetting to Solo Darling, Travis seemed to really genuinely believe this would be the best thing for both of them, that they both needed some time apart so they could grow individually. After the team did lose in the tournament in a really really heartbreaking match. I still think back on that match at that one moment where it seemed like it could have gone either way, could be looking at a whole different landscape now if just one small thing had been different, but they lost. They couldn't make it. Travis, uh, sorrowful though he was, split the team as he promised to do, left Solo Darling basically in tears, uh, asking him to stay. He did not end up doing so. It was a very affecting scene. I give huge credit. And even if it had just been left there, I think it would have been a really good story. But it continues on. Solo and Travis spending time apart. Solo uh, seems to recover. Really starts to excel in her singles career. Travis looking to do the same. Focusing attention specifically on Rory Gulak, who had defeated him a number of times. Who had taunted him. Who had really um, kind of made a point of grinding him down. Uh, that leads us to the match that I mentioned with Travis and Solo on the same side of the ring, a five-on-five elimination match with Rory on the other side. Travis doing everything he can to get over on Rory, but ends up getting pinned, getting eliminated, and immediately after doing so, Solo Darling ran in, took out Rory Gulak, and pinned him. He did the one thing that Travis had been trying to do ever since the team split up, and Travis... For all of his uh, nice guy attitude, for all of his good-natured, good-intention-seeming moments, was now confronted with a very personal, very devastating truth to himself. And what I really love about this is you really get the sense that Travis, despite acting like a nice guy, despite doing all this stuff, really deep down thought that Solo was the problem with the team and thought that he was better, uh, that he had one up on her, that uh, it was really himself that he was benefiting when he split up the team. He thought he would go on to succeed and she would kind of be left and forgotten in the dust. Uh, and now he's confronted by the fact that, hey, maybe that's not the, the real problem. Maybe the problem was me. And being confronted with this possibility was apparently too much for Travis as he shouted out, you took my moment and attacked Solo Darling in a really, really powerful moment. Um, after this, you know, the character went through a transformation. Travis shaved off all his hair and threw away his nice guy persona. He joined the reformed version of Fist and became really one of the nastiest guys around in the ring. Uh, I'll never forget the match where Solo Darling uh, was knocked out by, by Hollow Wicked. And then rather than just pinning her, Travis puts her in her own submission hold and has the ref call it as a submission victory for himself. And just uh, what... Man, I've, oh, I, I genuinely get worked up just thinking about it right now. Everything that went into this feud was amazing. I couldn't wait to see them go one-on-one, -on -one, and they finally did, and it was absolutely great. I love the match itself, but the story, I think, above anything. 
is just great. And uh, you can probably tell how much I like it just from uh, how much I really just poured out talking about it right now. But, man, it's wonderful. It's a great, great story. It was a great moment. It was a great feud. It's uh, one of my favorite things, absolutely, that I have seen in wrestling in recent memory. i got to give props to both of them and to Chikara for making it happen. Oh, goodness. That was a an excellent choice for number <laughs> one, if I do say so myself. Man, just um, we've talked about it on this show extensively in the past, especially when covering Chikara. The rivalry, the storyline between Travis Huckabee and Solo Darling, just truly an affecting one. Um, you know, we didn't really love – I remember I was not quite loving the Rumblebees when they first formed. Mm-hmm. Um, we both uh, had pretty fond thoughts of uh, Travis even then, but Solo Darling was not our favorite uh, wrestler in the world at that time. Mm-hmm. And to then go from there – to go from that moment of them forming, of them, you know, working together and us being, yeah, I'd say, mostly uninterested in them, to where the two of us are now as fans of both Travis and Solo mm-hmm. is quite literally night and day. And that just speaks to the effort, the work that these two have put in, um, especially Solo, to go from being where she was to where she is now as genuinely arguably probably the most improved wrestler, not just within Chikara, but maybe worldwide. Oh, yeah. I would um, say so. <laughs> just, just it, it's been a phenomenal trip to watch them go from where they were to where they are, and hopefully 2019 only promises bigger and better things for both of them, because they do genuinely, genuinely deserve it. So, excellent choice from Israel there for his number one moment of the year. Um, going to go in a slightly different direction for my number one moment of the year because earlier this year earlier this year a man who claimed to be on his own level and who claimed to be the king of his division um <laughs> left the uh left the wwe um and for weeks it was kind of a <clears throat> for weeks maybe even months it was rumored where he was going to go what he was going to do next where he was going to show up um eventually took ourselves over to Japan. Uh, Shingo Tagaki was leaving Dragon Gate. He had announced that his plans were to go freelance, to leave the company and start going on his own way to do his own thing. And one of his last matches within the company was to be a tag team match. He would be teaming with longtime rival BB Hulk to take on um, the man whom he left his stable in the hands of, Ata. And Ata himself was going to have a mystery partner in that match. The night came, BB Hulk and Shingo Tagaki stood out there, Ata arrived, the lights went off, the lights went on, and thus began the start of my number one moment of the year, the return of the bastard King Pac to Dragon Gate. Because when those lights came back on, the, the king of the cruiserweights, the man on the Neville level, the only man on the Neville level, Pac, uh, returned to his, uh, obstinately his home company, taking out Shingo, engaging in this match, and helping Ata secure a victory using not the red arrow, but the black arrow to win this bout. And not only that, but a few months later, uh, Pac would enter the Open the Dream Gate Championship discussion, would eventually take on then champion Masato Yoshino. Not only would he fight him, he would prove to be superior to Yoshino in that match and defeated him to become the new open 
the Dream Gate champion. Pac returns from from the WWE back to Dragon Gate, and within months is reestablished as being one of the best wrestlers in the company, and arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world. But for me, that is not the reason this is the number one moment. This Pac's return did a whole lot. We talked about earlier how Dragon Gate had gone through a split, how Shima had left the company, how there were a lot of questions about what was going to be going on uh, from here on out. There was a lot of instability. You know, This year, Dragon Gate had to use a whole bunch of newer faces, whether they be rookies trying to establish themselves, uh, more lower card, you know, previously lower card guys like KZ having to step up, having to rely on guys uh, earlier in the year like Ata, T-Hawk, El Lindeman, Big R Shimizu, Ben K. Um, they had to rely on a lot of these names. They had to focus on a lot of these names to try to build them up, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Sometimes these guys had to find different roles to occupy in order to continue uh, trying to carry the company. Pac coming back immediately added a lot of star power that Dragon Gate was kind of missing now that Shima was gone. Now that Shingo would be leaving, they had, you know, a huge void to fill, and Pac did just that. But not only that, the uh, new stable, R.E.D., led by Eita, working with, um, working alongside guys like Big R. Shimizu, Kashi Yoshida, uh, Bin K., um, when it originally formed, and especially when the initial reveal of their first mystery member was none other than Kazuma Sakamoto, uh, the wind had been taken out of the sails, and people were kind of looking at R.E.D. as a very lackluster stable immediately. Just just not super engaging, not super uh, great, you know, a lot of potential, but just not great off the, off the bat. And then Pac shows up, and then a few months later... Pac wins the Dreamgate Championship. Um, and also within that time, uh, just uh, not quite related to this note, but uh, apparently Cosmo Sakamoto actually been doing pretty good in his role. Um, I've actually watched him a few times. He's actually pretty uh, solidly fitting into Dragon Gate, so that turned out to work to their benefit as well. But with Pac coming back, and not only was this a big moment in the world of wrestling to see uh, the man wrestle again, to see him in an environment he was you know, happy and positive with, um, you know, that in and of itself was great. The fact that he returned and helped elevate R.E.D. and Dragon Gate as a company to, you know, going from a very questionable uh, potential future to everybody's kind of being in line, everybody digging it, everybody being positive about it. And as a big, a huge Dragon Gate fan, this was just absolutely a treat for me. I remember Pac back in World 1. Remember Pac back in Junction 3 in World 1 International, seeing him come back to Dragon Gate so many years later as just the absolute top heel in the company. Reigning as their Dream Gate champion is just something I didn't think I would see, but I am so happy that I did. So for me, me personally, my number one moment of the year, Pac returns to Dragon Gate. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a great one. I, I kind of knew you would put it on there, uh, and I thought about putting it on myself. Um, I remember, yeah, for months, it definitely was months, people were like, oh, Pac, you know, he's out. When is he going to be in New Japan? You know, is he going to be in uh, Impact Wrestling? Uh, you know, where where will he go? Um, and, you know, he ended up picking the place that always showed him the most love uh, before he was um, – known and loved for being in the WWE, and uh, and I'm really glad he did. I thought he made a great statement with that, just going uh, 
to a place where he's probably going to be happiest um, and still make great money. Uh, guess what? You don't always have to go um, to some American televised company or to New Japan to, uh, you know, to be successful, to be happy to be on that top level. Um, and I have definitely loved everything I've seen from him in Dragon Gate. He looks phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, I, I love the pick. I think it's a great one. Excellent. So that was our top five moments of the year from 2018. And I'd say uh, top to bottom, a pretty solid list from each of us. A lot of good things, a lot of good happenings here. Some things super important, some things more uh, personally meaningful. But but I'd say pretty good top five overalls from both of us. But we're going to move on now. We're going to move on now from our top five moments of the year to our top three matches of the year. If it was contested in a ring, if it was contested with a referee, if there were falls, whether they were pinfalls, submission, knockouts, KOs, cage escapes, whatever they were. As long as it was a wrestling match, it's going to end up at least in consideration for our list. And, Ms. Fan, I do just want to say before we get into them, mm-hmm. what a year of wrestling we watched. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Uh-huh. Between uh, the, some of the companies we've already mentioned, to places like, you know, talked about Chikara, talked about Dragon Gate, WXW, um, Lucha Underground, you know, CMLL. Uh, bar wrestling had a whole bunch of fun stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sendai Girls, Stardom. Um, you know, we watched All In, as we mentioned. There's just, there's been a whole lot to this year. Um, just, just some incredible stuff. We've discovered new wrestlers, discovered great companies. Um, really, 2018 had a lot going for it. So it made a, trying to whittle these lists down, um, I don't know about you, but for me, it is very, very difficult. I did uh, eventually land on a top three I was very happy with. Top three I could look back at myself and say, you know what? On a personal level, um, even if these matches weren't quote unquote the technically the best, they're matches that I can at least sit there and say, yes, these are. Um, if I was going to talk about 2018, if I was going to talk about the three matches that for me personally made 2018 what it was as, wrestling, as far as wrestling goes. These are the three matches that I would point to um, as being my absolute favorites, um, both in the ring and from whatever uh, storylines they represented. But dang, it was hard. It was very, <laughs> very hard this year. I had to leave off a whole bunch of good stuff. Really had to leave off a whole bunch of good stuff to get this top three. But I think I'm satisfied with what I've got. Ms. Fan, what are your what are your thoughts on this year of wrestling and how you got to this uh, top three of wrestling matches this sure. year? Sure. Well, I, yeah, the year was really fantastic for wrestling, and uh, we were lucky to be able to watch as much as we did, as much uh, varied stuff specifically as we did. Um, I put together, I, I don't have it in front of me, but yeah, probably upwards of uh, 40 promotions watched, uh, at least uh, a little bit, whether that be a little or, you know, everything, um, you know, there's a lot of variety between there, but yeah, um, benefit for me of keeping a running list through the years, I don't have to agonize at the end of the year, I'm, I'm already at a place where I'm pretty happy with my breakdown, but still, not easy by any stretch of the imagination, a lot of great stuff that was left off, and I think I'll try to sh- throw a few uh, shout-outs at the end, just to uh, some worthy stuff that I wasn't able to put on the list. Mm-hmm. So uh, with all that said, let's get right into our top three matches of the year. I guess I'll go first since Ms. Fan went first last time. Sure. Uh, I knew what I wanted my top two matches to be. Like that was uh, that was pretty much decided um, pretty early on. But this third match, 
was a lot of agonizing about this one in particular, about what I wanted it to be, where I wanted it to come from, you know, what I wanted to represent uh, for me personally, just because, you know, just trying to find that final spot. It's very difficult. But I figured it out, came to a conclusion. I said, nope, this is the one I am sticking with because it is one that is going to stick with me for a very long time. And it is a match we, or rather I should say a storyline, you, Ms. Fan, just talked about in our last segment. Because the match that is doing it for me at the number three spot this year is from the Chikara finale. The Chikara season finale, Solo Darling, versus Travis Huckabee. Their rivalry finally coming to a head in a one-on-one singles match. You know, we talked about it earlier. Ms. Fan talked about it. This storyline has been just so engaging, so just personal between these two that, you know, it, when it finally came time for blows, you know, it was just, for me at least, it was just an incredible sight to behold. I, I genuinely cannot say enough good things about both Travis Huckabee, who is a phenomenal worker, has been just a treat to watch as a technical a bully that he's become over the last year, working alongside Icarus and Tony Deppin and Fitz, just really honing his game, honing his nastiness. And Solo Darling, a perennial underdog who really has gotten to the point where you just have to root for her. You just have to watch her. She is exciting. She is engaging. She, you kind of hang on everything she does. And the two of them combined with their history together, going from partners in a tag team to tag team champions for one blissful moment, only to have all of that taken away from them. Have Travis send Solo off and refuse to tag with her anymore, to showing the jealousy that he held for Solo when she finally managed to put away Rory Gulak when he could not. Um, and just, just the, the depths of his hatred for her and how it eventually drove her to her own depths of hatred for him. This match was emotional. This match was raw. This match involved... A lot of good callbacks. There were, you know, Rumblebee spots. There was a couple of Rumblebee handshakes. There was move stealing. There was pile drivers. The pile driver that had taken Solo out herself earlier in the year used twice in this match. Travis, you know, breaking out some techniques that he had, hadn't done before. You know, some variations on the stretch muffler to the outside, swinging her into a turnbuckle to try to take her out. Unfortunately for him, it was all for naught. He tried so hard to prove, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the thing he had, you know, essentially the reason, uh, subtextually at least, why he left this team. He thought he was better than Solo Darling. He allowed her to flounder in his eyes while he was going to move on to bigger and better things. It didn't happen the day Solo pinned Rory Gulak, and it didn't happen at the season finale of Chikara when she finally, finally defeated him in the middle of that ring. I just, I, I have loved this storyline. I have followed it intensely and intently since it's begun. And I just, I, I, I had to give a shout out to it. I just had to. Of all the matches that happened this year, and there were a lot of good ones, I had to have at least. This one, this huge culmination of a storyline in a match that I genuinely thought was just stupendous. Worked super well. Lots of callbacks, as mentioned. Just just engaging from start to finish. My number three match of the year from this Chikara, uh, from the Chikara season finale. Travis Huckabee and Solo Darling. My number three match of the year. 
Great pick, definitely. Um, I think I mentioned when we talked about uh, Let's Get Invisible, the season finale, is the I really had only one quibble with this match, and that is that uh, during this match, Solo was at one point taken in by Travis, offering to do the handshake, and I thought after everything that had happened, um, I don't know, that moment didn't resonate with me quite as much, but everything else about this match was stupendous. And uh, I'm really glad that you mentioned, because I realized in my big... Uh, uh, speech I, I neglected to even uh, say who actually won, and it was, of course, Solo Darling, who got one of the most satisfying victories uh, in recent memory. So, uh, great choice with that. Um, it was a wonderful match to cap off. Really just a phenomenal feud, and I couldn't say couldn't really say a word against it, uh, besides that one small nitpick. That's, that's a really great choice. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Ms. Fan, your number three match of 2018. What is it? Uh, yeah, my uh, my number three choice is actually one that uh, stood at number one for a long time to the point where I thought maybe it was going to go all the way down the stretch because this was one that Ooh. we watched uh, really early on. The match is from uh, January 20th, 28th. Uh, it is from a progress show, Fear No More, Come to Dust, and it is Walter taking on Timothy Thatcher for the Progress uh, yes. Atlas Championship. Uh, I-, I will just quickly also say uh-huh. this almost made – my spot at number three as well. This was one of the few matches I was agonizing over for this spot. So already, you know, I'm in support of this pick right here. And with good reason. Uh, my match of the year 2017, there was really never any question. It was going to be Walter against Ilya Dragunov uh, because the physicality of that match was just so over the top, so impressive, so viscerally apparent uh, with just the actual wounds of war that Ilya Dragunov left with, is that uh, I couldn't help but be blown away with it. And then, right in January, we get a match that was very nearly, if not on, the same level in terms of just the violent physicality. Um, you know, in that match, that 2017 match with Ilya Dragunov, we've said a number of times, and Ilya walked away with his chest looking like raw hamburger meat, just, just pulverized uh, and looking incredibly painful as a testament to what these guys uh, put themselves through. This match um, was not uh, so much the bruises and the welts as it was somehow Walter chopped Thatcher so many times and so hard that his chest split open and started bleeding everywhere. Um, And, uh, you know, it's not, I'm not looking for people to, uh, be injured or hurt or anything like that necessarily. That's not uh, something that's key to me to have a great match, but uh, you, you shedding a little blood can go a long way, uh, especially when it's two guys like this who get into this situation because they are so dedicated, because they are so serious about what they do, and uh, mm-hmm. you just you, you can't deny the incredible effect that the match is having on them because you can't deny your own eyes. You see what is happening, you see what they're sacrificing, what they're giving, and you really can't help but appreciate it, I think. Um, I've said many times, I believe Walter is the best wrestler on planet Earth right now because just about everything he does looks like it would kill a normal person. Uh, And this match was not only not an exception, I think it proved more than anything that that is absolutely the truth. Um, Absolutely incredible. Timothy Thatcher, a guy who also has really just stood out tremendously this year, uh, doing a wonderful job matching the incredible physicality of Walter. But, man, at the end of the day, for me, it's a Walt- it's the Walter show, and uh, he just absolutely stole the show here. I thought he was going to steal the whole year, and he pretty much did, because if, if we were going to do a top ten, 
I think I'd be saying the name Walter on like six or seven of them at least. So that's uh, that's very yeah. fair, very fair. But yeah, no, that that is my number three of the year. Uh, I think it was an incredible match, and I think everyone should go out of their way to check it out. Absolutely agree. Like I said, it was my uh, number three match of the year for a long time. I knew what number two and number one were, uh, but this match was definitely a uh, hard in the consideration for the top three because it really was. I think, uh, as mentioned early on, just just an immediate match of the year contender all the way back in January. Um, the two of them just attempted to rip each other to shreds, and it was great. It was great. And more than anything, I think this match, much like many other matches, is really just proof that, really, this is Walter's world. We're all just living on it. <laughs> just biding our time in his domain. Huh. Good match. Good selection there for number three. Um, number two, for me, I'm going to transition to is also a Walter match. Like I said, um, the two matches that I considered to be the front runners for me for match of the year were basically decided pretty much the moment they happened. Um, it was uh, it was pretty much well known for me what I was going to go with. Just had to determine which one was going to end up in which spot. And uh, at the end of the day, decided that this was going to be the number two match for me, a tremendous match. Uh, mentioned earlier on in the show, my uh, first moments of the year, going back to 16 karat gold tournament for WXW Night 2. It is Walter, it is Bad Bones, it is Ilya Dragunov for the WXW Unified World Wrestling Championship. This match, um, God, this match was just so, it was so good. I enjoyed it top to bottom, just Everything leading up to the match, Walter and Bad Bones having this rivalry. Um, Walter coming in and declaring the match would not be a singles match, but a triple threat match. Bringing back Ilya Dragunov to uh, return to the company and fend off not only his uh, rival and the man who took him out, Bad Bones, but his sort of, almost at this point, eternal rival, uh, Walter, the man who he defeated at the 2017 16-karat gold tournament to win the whole thing, and this match was pretty much just as brutal, just as gnarly, just as vicious as that one, but there was also now a third body in the mix. Walter chopped, Ilya fought back, Bad Bones did everything in his power to try to retain his championship. They just It was a war between these three gentlemen. And, you know, all the passion that we've seen before from Ilya, from Walter, from Bad Bones, really all of it was on display in this match. And the big thing that will always stand out to me aside from the fans just losing their minds when Ilya returned was the finish of this match. A combination apparently called on commentary as the burning hammer and sickle. As Ilya Dragunov hits the torpedo Moscow on Bad Bones John Klinger for lifting him up on his shoulders and dropping him the Argentine face buster they call the Burning Hammer, pins him in the ring one, two, three, and is finally crowned WXW Unified World Wrestling Championship. The match itself was great. The moment Ilya was uh, brought out was great. And, uh, you know, it really neatly and I'd say correctly, you know, finally crowned Ilya and put a nice uh, little cap 
on the rivalry between him and Bad Bones, spurned on by uh, Bad Bones, putting him out of action for several months. It was great. I love this match. It was exciting. I just... This was another good one from WXW. They really know how to turn out just some excellent matches in there. And, of course, Walter was here. So you know that match was going to be good to begin with. So, yeah, a lot of good elements going into this that made it a fantastic match. And my number two match of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is an easy top ten for me. Um, and just really for all the same reasons that you put out there. Uh, I want to especially highlight, because I feel like he gets lost in the mix sometimes, Bad Bones John Clear, I think, showed, uh, at least in the early part of this year, that he's every bit on the level of these other guys. Um, and I think it is really uh, a damn shame that uh, that he did leave the company shortly after this match for reasons that we still don't know. Uh, I know he's done some work since then, but uh, really he's not been on the radar as much as I think he should be, considering how unbelievably talented he is. So uh, in addition to being in there with Walter and Ilya, who I do think are two of the best in the world, I think Bad Bones uh, could easily be in that conversation as well. So credit to him, credit to the booking, credit to Ilya and Walter. I think uh, everything really came together beautifully for this match. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. All right, I'll, uh, I'll talk about then my number two match of the year. And it's another Walter match, because like I said, I think you could really just fill up uh, your list with Walter matches and really not ever go wrong. Um, this one is a very special one to me because it's the rare match that uh, I think was able to transform the narrative about a certain wrestler. Um, and that wrestler, I think, is uh, one of the biggest names you're going to have to talk about if you're going to talk about 2018. That is Pierre Carl Oulet, better known as PCO in this day and age. The match, of course, is WrestleMania weekend. Game Changer Wrestling, Joey Janela's Spring Break 2, uh, a wild and ridiculous and very fun show, in my opinion, and this was the pinnacle of it for me. Uh, I will never forget, before I even saw this match, before I knew who won, before I really had seen anything from, uh, from PCO's comeback, I saw the picture on Twitter of them standing together after the match, and PCO's chest being literally black and blue, and, and him, like, bleeding a little bit, um, from the face and just looking like he was having the time of his life. Like he was just feeding and thriving off of all of this. And how can you not respond to an image like that? A man 50 years old who steps back up and says, yes, I will do this thing, which, you know, chews up 20 year olds and uh, spits them back out because it's uh, so rough. And not only that, I will take on the roughest of the rough that I possibly can. And I will do it with a smile on my face. And, uh, it was really incredible to me. I was I was basically sold on the match even before I saw it, I suppose. But uh, that's not to say the match itself did not deliver even above and beyond my expectations. Uh, I've already said Walter, just one of the best in the world, just doing anything. Uh, he's able to stand out. PCO, kind of the same, honestly. He, he's able to do so much stuff that he should not be able to do. Uh, his feats of strength, his feats of agility, all these things that he could do, the, the, the topes, the moonsaults to the floor. Uh, he's an incredible marvel, and I think above and beyond that, he brings this incredible aura with him, and uh, Walter has it as well, and I think uh, that, as much as anything, helped put this match over the top. Um, and like I said, it just completely changed the conversation about a guy who was one half of the Quebecers who once had a match with Bret Hart about a stolen jacket 
all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. A guy who kind of got pushed out of the wrestling spotlight due to uh, some politics and disappeared for a long time, came back to show not only is he uh, not done yet, but really is better than ever. And uh, it's really quite inspiring, I think. Uh, I love the match. I love the story of PCO. And, uh, yeah, I just had to highlight it here because uh, it's a match that really, really inspired me and stuck out to me in a great way. This is an excellent choice. And really, there were so many PCO matches you could have chosen Absolutely. for this spot. He was uh, never his, not great all year. It was like, uh, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't think there's any one wrestler who is more of a spectacle to watch than PCO. Some guys who might be tougher. There might be some guys who are stronger, more agile, maybe they're more technically sound. But as far as you want a match that's going to feel like a big fight, you want a match that's going to leave you with something to talk about, whether that's, as Ms. Van said, an absurd feat of strength, a ridiculous display of agility or dexterity, a dangerous moonsault or something. PCO is, without a doubt, one of, if not the absolute best guy at that style. He is just... I don't know if it's because he's just willing to take more chances. He's just, you know, he's got less to care about and thus more to gain from doing just some of the nasty things that he does. But he's just an incredible performer to watch and was all year long. Uh, This match in particular really stood out on WrestleMania weekend, um, a weekend which also included Minoru Suzuki taking on Matt Riddle. Mm. We can't forget that that actually happened. And it was a no rope match. We we that's just something that we just we, we can't forget that happened. But <laughs> that was a of, great one, absolutely. Oh, oh. But of all the things that happened, PCO versus Walter WrestleMania weekend, Joey Janela's Spring Break two. That's just that is a very solid pick. Yeah. The number two I spot. almost uh, in the moment section, I wanted to say something about Joey Janela because just the way he's been able to kind of take his personal brand, and you know, I know uh, there's some people who don't like the guy, and they. Probably have good reasons, you know, in all honesty. But uh, still, he was able to really tap into something uh, special, I think, with the way uh, he helped promote certain events and really made them feel uh, like you really had to go out of your way to see them. Just just putting on imaginative matches that nobody else really had the thought to book and uh, has really done a lot of good stuff. So I give him credit for that as far as it goes. Indeed. And nowhere was that more apparent, I think, than at Spring Break 2, especially mm-hmm. with the match you mentioned. Indeed. But for my number one spot, and once again, they said, I always always knew what my top two was going to be. And if you uh, paid attention to my moment section, you're probably well aware of what company this number one match of mine is going to be coming from. It is indeed Dragon Gate, all the way back in February. It's uh, a match from February 7th, a, uh, a, a hugely important match to me. And a, a hugely just great performance all around. My number one match of the year. Open the Dreamgate champion, Masaki Mochizuki, defending against number one contender, KZ. If, if, if you know me, you know I love Dragon Gate. And if you know me, you know how much I enjoy KZ as a wrestler. I have watched him grow from a basically a jobber in stables to a part-time player growing ever so slightly year in and year out until finally he was at um, a fairly peak moment in Tribe Vanguard. 
at that time. He felt he was, you know, wanted to prove himself. He had, you know, been utilizing the Sky Aid schoolboy and his new finisher, the running elbow smash, to perfection leading up to this match. And finally decided he needed a shot at the Dreamgate Championship, then held by Masaki Mochizuki. Masaki Mochizuki gave him this match February 7th, and it was an absolute barn burner. And even if you're not, I don't know, even if you don't quite put this match on that sort of level the way I do, you have to admit, it is probably one of the best uh, Dragon Gate main event singles matches probably ever put to tape. They're not always the best at that style. Um, that's not really their wheelhouse, but this one, this one was good. This one was beyond good. It was beyond great, in my opinion. It was amazing. From the jump, Mochizuki and KZ are at each other, trying to take each other out, working, you know, each other just beautifully, I thought. KZ constantly focusing on the head, Mochizuki focusing on the midsection, Casey having to break out moves and things he has never done before, including an apron version of a blockbuster. Um, he's really just having to dig down deep. Got as intense as the Dragon Gate Iron Man, Mochizuki, just literally standing up there, taking blows, dealing out his own blows. I was standing in there with one of the best in the world in Mochizuki and just fighting with him tooth and nail. The one thing that I will always remember from this match, the reason for me it is number one up here, it's not just because KZ you know, really went from a boy to a man in this match. It's not just an incredible bout in and of itself. The moment that I will always remember is you know, I went into this match, and when I watched it, I knew who the victor was. I knew who was going to win. I knew how it was all going to turn out. And yet, and yet, as I said at the time, and yet... When uh, KZ counters Mochizuki in this match and finally, for the first time in the match, applies the Sky 8 schoolboy flash pin, I had genuinely believed that everybody else had been wrong, that the internet had collectively lied to me for several weeks and told me that this had not been the way it went. Um, I thought KZ actually had won the match in that moment. I was convinced that was it. Even in a match that I knew what the finish was. I thought I knew what the finish was. I still, there was just that little kernel of hope that, you know, blossomed from me in that moment. He hits the Sky 8 schoolboy. It looks like it's a wrap. I am so invested in a match that I knew what the outcome was that I thought the outcome was actually different. In the end, Mochizuki um, cuts back on a roll-up himself and ends up pinning KZ to retain his title. In a match that was jaw-dropping, electric, and as I said, was really a moment for KZ to go from being a boy in Dragon Gate to a man in Dragon Gate. Afterwards, KZ would go on to leave Tribe Vanguard, saying that he needed to face his contemporaries in BB Hulk and Yamato instead of standing beside them or behind them. He had to stand next to them. He had to face them. So he even stand above them. In the mountain in Dragon Gate would eventually form natural vibes and you know lead his own stable for the first time ever. And this was the match, the moment in which that really changed for him. The narrative about KZ went from being a good guy, a good wrestler, um, sort of on the back end of stables, to being his own man, his own leader, and a guy who you could really put uh, the future of Dragon Gate on the shoulders of. 
So for me, my number one match of the year, KZ, Masaki Mochizuki, February 7th for Dragon Gate. Yeah, I mean, uh, another stupendous pick. Um, I just want to say I'm so happy for KZ because I remember liking him a whole lot back when I started watching Dragon Gate in, like, I don't know, 2015, 2014. I was doing, like, the eye thing. He was in Mad Blanky and all that stuff. And I thought, this guy, you know, obviously he's really cool. He's good. You know, I think there's going to be big things for him. And uh, it's just nice to see when that actually pays off because, yeah, KZ has been so good this year. I'd say he's probably one of the best wrestlers uh, in all of Japan right now. I, I really believe that. Um, and that covers a lot of ground. So a lot of lefty KZ. Uh, I agree, one of the best Dragon Gate uh, singles main events that I have ever seen. And uh, well worth checking out. Really, really great pick. did just also want to mention here, I had to choose essentially between this and the uh, Natural Vibes uh, Maximum uh, six man tag mm-hmm. for the open the, the trios gates, try open the triangle gates from, uh, yeah. I want to remember that correctly. That was Kobe that World. More, and that again was uh-huh. a crazy show. Absolutely. Indeed, indeed. So, Miss Fan, it's time. What is your number one match of 2018? My number one match. Um, I'm curious actually to hear if you ever actually went back and watched this match because it's one that uh, you were not. On the show for for uh, some reason or another. Uh, night is September 1st. Two opponents who were supposed to score off months earlier, put off by injury, put off by circumstance, finally coming head to head. Former friends, former partners. It is David Starr and Yearn Simmons in a Ooh, last man standing match. I did this not match, get to this one, but I'm going to do so must. in a hurry. <laughs> you Ooh, absolutely boy. must. Both of their matches, the hair versus hair as well. You gotta watch both. But uh, mm. yeah, this match was incredible. Uh, they were pulling out stuff that I'd never seen before. I believe this is the match where uh, a waxing strip was used on uh, David Starr's chest. And if you have seen David Starr, you know that that is a disastrous thing to happen to David Starr during a wrestling match. Um, this match had uh, that cinematic quality that we talk about with WXW sometimes. Their presentation is above and beyond. Yaren um, Simmons, a guy that I've just fallen in love with this year after not fully getting, maybe in the past year or two, but just uh, the whole presentation, the War King thing, the black kendo stick that he carries around and uses. So great. Um, this match had uh, big bumps out into the crowd, which you know is one of my favorite things. It had some great elements that you could really only see in Last Man Standing. I think uh, maybe my favorite moment of the whole match is uh, Yuren Simmons really picking David Starr apart limb by limb and uh, dropping him to the mat using that black kendo stick. David Starr struggling to get to his feet. Can't do it. Doesn't have the feeling in his arms. But because the bottom turnbuckle had been unscrewed to be used as a weapon, he was able to just barely roll out of the ring land on his feet, save himself from uh, a certain loss, um, which is followed up by perhaps an equally great moment as Jern Simmons follows him out in frustration, literally hurls him out into uh, the sea of chairs. And once again, David Starr seems like he won't be able to break the count, but I kid you not, at the last minute, a fan comes up and like helps him to his feet just because he is so into this match. Um, and God knows, like... I suppose it could have been a plant or something, or David Starr just would have gotten up anyway if it hadn't happened. But I don't know. The timing of it was beautiful, and I think it really spoke to just how um, over David Starr was in this feud, in this night, in this uh, promotion. 
as this uh, babyface, which I still think is his best work, even though he tends to uh, work heel almost everywhere else. So uh, that was all great. They pulled out all the stops. They pulled up the padding of the ring and uh, did some stuff on the bare floor. In the end, um, plug your ears if you don't want to hear it, but uh, I really like both guys end up kind of getting slammed at the same time, off the top, down onto the bare wood floor, and it kind of looks like maybe Yaren Simmons could have gotten up if he really wanted to, but he just wanted no more of David Starr, and so the match uh, went to a no contest, but it was about the best no contest, I think, that I have ever seen, and uh, the whole match was wonderful, and the hair versus hair was uh, very nearly as good. That came a little later in the year, so I beg you to watch both, but this one ended up being my favorite. I knew it would be good, but uh, it was a match that really took me by surprise at just how unbelievably good it was. It's ended up rocketing past so many other worthy contenders. Um, I hope everyone will take the time to check it out. Uh, the David Starr, Yaren Simmons matches are not to be missed. Cool boy. Um, I had, I'd always uh, liked Yaren Simmons. I'd always enjoyed his stuff. Um, I remember trying to get you on the Yaren Simmons train. I am so <laughs> glad, um, especially with this heel turn where he looks um, – Phenomenal! It's just, just his entire, absolutely. His entire presentation has just become godly at this point. It is incredible to watch. Definitely, definitely want to go back and check this match out. I've been meaning to, haven't gotten to it, but I've got some free time. I'm gonna do it because it sounds, you know, it, it's Miz fans' number one match of the year. You yeah. know, it's got to be a good one. You know, it's got to be good. Um, I, I, you did say you wanted to shout out some uh, some uh, honorable yes, mentions yes. here at the end, so go feel free to do that. Because um, oh boy, yeah. that was a lot. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, just some quick shout outs. I uh, want to shout out uh, Io Shirai versus Mako Satomura from the uh, April 19th Sunday Girls show. Uh, I'd say that is definitely my number four of the year. It's the one that I really wanted to include, and I couldn't quite make the space for it. Um, I want to shout the uh, Oedo Tai. Um, Queen's Quest uh, Gauntlet 5-on-5 match from uh, earlier in the year. I want to shout out Mike Quagginbush versus Juan Francisco from Chikara. Uh, BB Hulk and Yamato taking on uh, Big Ben from the uh, Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival. Um, all of the Walter versus Zack Sabre Jr. matches, which I thought were all just absolute classics. And last but definitely not least, Charlie Morgan versus Sami Zayn from uh, Wrestle Queendom from the uh, Eve promotion. So those are just some quick shout-outs. Matches I really wanted to include, couldn't quite make the room for it, but man, you got to go out and check out some of this wrestling that's going on because it's just, it's awesome. Yeah, I just want to really quickly say that last match almost made my number three as well. Mm. That uh, the Charlie Morgan match was just, I, I think that was a revelation for me personally as far sure. as just, just everything was so good, everything was so quality in that match that it it it, it left an indelible mark on me and it just barely missed the cut at number three is definitely about a number four number five match for me because that one was so good so good all right then now that we have finished up our top three matches of the year just time to move on to arguably the uh the biggest uh part of our section here for our end of year awards the 2018 top five wrestlers of the year um i'm gonna be really honest i even at this very moment, I am still struggling to make sure I've got everybody I want on this list. I've got a solid uh, four people on here, but that fifth spot, even now, I am fighting 
with myself to determine who that is. But I think I've got a good idea. I think I'm going to just go with my gut. But uh, Ms. Fan, why don't you start us off? Who is your number five wrestler of 2018? Well, my number five wrestler is somebody I've already talked about a lot, so uh, I don't know if I'll say much more than I have said, but uh, my number five wrestler is none other than PCO, a man who really reinvented his career this year, a guy who was really fantastic. Every time we saw him, we saw him uh, working in uh, the States, in Chikara, in uh, Game Changer Wrestling, in all sorts of indies, went over to Europe, did some WXW, was excellent there as well. Uh, he's really been excellent everywhere. Um, it's a guy I had a chance to see live, which always helps. But yeah, I just uh, if you talk about wrestlers in 2018, I really think you have to talk about PCO. Indeed, indeed. And let us not forget the day, the, the biggest... Really, what should have been the number one moment on everyone's list, the day he killed Cajun Crawdad, <laughs> powerbombing him out of the Chikara ring. Just mm-hmm. still just a mind-boggling spot. My number five, um, once again, really struggled with this one, but I'm going with my gut here. My number five wrestler of 2018, none other than potentially um, just pound for pound the best wrestler in the world today. I'm talking none other than Mako Satomura. Um, I think if you're going to talk about wrestling in 2018, you have to talk about the woman who won WXW's Femme Fatales tournament, who participated in WWE's May Young Classic, who wrestled in places like Sendai Girls, I do believe made a few appearances in stardom here and there as well, and just literally every match she has had is just, it's just a barn-burning, you know, excellent experience. We've seen her just do so many things, singles matches, uh, tag team matches, just every match she has wrestled this year that we managed to see here on the Global Revolution. Just just something extraordinary from her basically every time. Once again, the winner of the 2018 WXW Femme Fatales Tournament, so getting a, some uh, trophy shine as well. So for me, you know, I think women's wrestling has you know, had a pretty good banner year in 2018, and I think that's only going to continue with all the talented women you know, coming out and doing their thing. And if anybody is going to represent that, nobody I think does that better than my number five pick for 2018, Mako Satomura. Ah, yeah, that's a great one. And uh, kind of leads right into my number four wrestler, uh, who is not Mako Satomura, but uh, is perhaps her best opponent. And uh, in my opinion, maybe the greatest female wrestler in the world. And that is none other than Io Shirai, the mm-hmm. ace of stardom uh, for a very long time. Of course, has recently signed with the WWE, which is massively to their benefit. Uh, really just uh, wish nothing but good things for her when she gets there. Uh, I guess she's already there, actually. Um, but uh, still, just uh, a lot of love for Io Shirai. All the great, great matches she's wrestled. Um, I talked about the Io Shirai Mako Satomura Sunday Girls match was in my top five, without a doubt. Um, and yeah, just, uh, every time she goes out there, she seems to just kill it. So big fan of, uh, of, uh, Io Shirai. And I think she just did a wonderful job this year. Indeed. I think another woman who could have made the list didn't make mine, but, uh, Kagetsu, another, uh, strong contender there who, uh, uh, Io Shirai had several matches with in 2018, all of which were very, very good. That Queen's Quest, uh, uh, dang, I've forgotten their name. Oedo Tai yep. uh, rivalry that spanned a bit of 2018 was very, very good. Mm-hmm. But for my uh, my number four pick here is actually the man whose shirt I am wearing right now. That'll be none other than Lucha Underground's Firebird Phoenix. <clears throat> I mean, 
talking about uh, this season of Lucha Underground, this year's season of Lucha Underground, and you did have Pentagon Dark doing great things. You had Marty the Moth Martinez really, you know, just breaking out in this season. Um, he had a lot of good competitors this year, but if anybody was going to embody sort of the great things about this season of Lucha Underground, it really had to be Phoenix. Um, great matches anytime he wrestled, but um, it was really once he was brought back from the dead and was more of a uh, dark Phoenix, if you will, um, he went from being really, really good to just unstoppably, unquestionably great as this character. Um, I just, I dug everything he did in Lucha Underground. We've seen him in uh, uh, working other places out outside of LU as well, and other uh, Lucha promotions and American promotions, and as usual, kill it every time. Um, Phoenix, my number four pick for the uh, Wrestler of the Year in 2018. Just, just a phenomenal talent, and really, I think, um, showed what he can do outside of simply working a match with this uh, Dark Phoenix character, really developing some really good uh, character traits and work there as well. Number four for me, Phoenix. Oh, very nice. I actually uh, have him even just a little bit later on my list, so uh, definitely feeling that pick there. Talk a bit more about him uh, in a few moments. My number three pick, though, someone I wanted to put a uh, very big spotlight on. He's another guy I've already talked about to some extent, but uh, Travis Huckabee. I think was really just uh, just fantastic this year, and I uh, I wanted to shout him out here in a big way because I think he deserves it. Um, the solo darling fuse, something we've already talked about, uh, and that was a major thing. But really, just everything he's been part of the reformed fist, uh, all the stuff he did before the heel turn, becoming the Johnny Kid Invitational winner. Uh, this year, after uh, falling short last year, yeah, Travis Huckabee, he's definitely on my list. This is a guy who's really only a few years into his wrestling career, and he is phenomenal. So uh, I can't wait to see what else he's got in store. Mm-hmm, a solid selection there. I think uh, Travis Huckabee's 2019 and 2020 will be even better than 2018 was. Um, now that he's really got himself established, sort of cleared himself off with that uh, solo darling feud. Um, which was just uh, probably one of the best stories told in 2018, bar none. So good pick there. Good pick there indeed. Um, I've kind of known who my top three were going to be for a a while. Um, Trying to figure out their selections, their uh, placement was very hard. But I've got it down. My number three selection this year for 2018. Maybe he's even a little bit low. I don't know. But for me, my number three is the Ring General Walter. Um, at, th- at this point on the uh, Global Revolution, I don't know how much more we can say about how much we enjoy Walter here. Every match he has is great. Every match he has is, um, you know, fierce. It's just it's a rugged match, whether he's taken on guys like PCO, he's taken on Ilya Dragunov, David Starr, you know, bringing Travis Banks back to a place where we really enjoyed him. Um taken on just just anybody he was in the ring with whatever company he was working for um he was doing just incredible things like he did last year um at this point like i said i don't know what else there's to say about walter he's just uh as i said earlier this is walter's world and we're all just living on it and that's just that's just an a testament to the greatness of the ring general man who had plenty of match of the year uh contenders and candidates um, you know, whether he was taken on, 
Um, you know, whether he was working in Ringkampf as a tag team or was facing his Ringkampf partner, Timothy Thatcher, in the various places he did throughout this year, he was just, as usual, just a five-star monster machine is Walter, and he is my number three wrestler of the year. Um, well, uh, I'm going to go by uh, your words instead of your ranking, because uh, the way you talked about him was uh, sounded like number one to me, and that, that, in fact, is the correct answer. A little spoiler <laughs> for my own list there. Uh, I'm very curious to think who on earth could be considered uh, two wrestlers better than Walter, but... Uh, well, I, I, I will admit, because it is my list, I'm going to be uh, slightly biased uh, this <laughs> yeah, year. Don't but don't uh, say. I, I thought as say. much. Um, fair enough, fair enough. We all have uh, our own individual tastes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned, uh, I guess you can kind of process elimination, figure out who else is going to be on my list now. My number two is indeed Phoenix. Uh, everything, as you said, great in Lucha Underground, great uh, all over Mexico, CMLL, AAA, uh, uh, basically any independent promotion you can think of down there. you Lucha memes, I think we've seen them in mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. everywhere on Earth in terms Pretty of... Uh, much, yeah. Yeah, in the main event of uh, All In. And, uh, you know, not, not for nothing uh, over in uh, TNA, or uh, I suppose Impact Wrestling now as well. So, uh, so yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot... A lot of positive stuff you can say about Phoenix. I really think just one of the absolute best out there and uh, deserves all the praise you can possibly be given. Mm-hmm. Strongly agree there. My number four, Miss Fans, number two, a solid selection in Phoenix. My number two, um, like I said, my top three was pretty much decided. Um, really, the top two is where I was having my biggest issues. They would flop back and forth each each month, seemingly, one guy would have a match, and they'd be up there, and then the next guy would have a match, and he'd be up there. Just went back and forth, back and forth for a while. But, again, just going to go with my gut, going to go with my heart feeling, my number two wrestler of the year, that B-boy for life, KZ out of Dragon Gate. This was a banner year for KZ. Once again, had the match of the year contender for me, the number one match of the year for me, Back in February, worked great matches as part of uh, Natural Vibes and Triangle Gate matches, uh, like the one mentioned before against uh, Maximum. Um, helped him, Susumu, uh, Yokusuka, and Genki Horiguchi as a trio become uh, the most prolific uh, single reign uh, champions in, tra- in uh, Dragon Gate, having the most successful Triangle Gate defenses ever in a single reign. Uh, so that's a pretty big, uh, neat thing for them. He's also had great matches. We saw him against, uh, Yamato. We saw him against, uh, Ben K just putting on match of the year performances pretty much every time he went out there. I thought just a phenomenal wrestler really upped his game in 2018. And I really think if you're going to talk about this year, as far as pro wrestling goes, especially when you're going to focus that talk on Dragon Gate, there's one guy you really got to mention, and that dude is KZ. And as a huge Dragon Gate fan, it was just a treat to watch him go from that longtime jobber or jobber to the stars, whatever you want to think of him as, the bit player in a lot of stables, to being the absolute man in natural vibes. And, you know, at this point now being a guy who can actually genuinely, honestly, truly carry Dragon Gate on his back, I do believe. So my number two wrestler of the year Gotta be KZ. Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, I can definitely get that train of thought. Um, I'm putting quite that high, but I know that you are uh, higher on Dragon Gate than I am, even though I am very high on Dragon Gate as well. Uh, as I said, I do think KZ 
is probably the best, uh, I'll say, male wrestler specifically in Japan. I think he really has a strong claim to that. And, uh, you know, the styles they tend to wrestle in Japan are maybe not as favorite to me as some of the ones I've seen elsewhere. Uh, you still cannot discount a huge accomplishment like that. So, yeah, much love for Casey. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, I, uh, I think we all know who your number one pick <laughs> is, and I take it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably not too much of a mystery. Um, honestly, I do um, believe that uh, unless you are – subscribing to the, uh, you know, if New Japan is like your favorite all-time style, uh, maybe you could argue someone there did it better. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would. Uh, it's not really so much for me, but, uh, but yeah, besides that, putting that aside, I, I don't see how you could reasonably argue anybody but Walter for the wrestler of 2018. I, I just don't really see the argument for it. Um, Walter versus PCO versus Timothy Thatcher versus Sack Sabre Jr. Many times over versus Ilya Dragunov many times over. That big triple threat that you talked about teaming with Timothy Thatcher and also probably being the tag team of the year with uh, with Ringkampf wrestling uh, guys like Pete Dunne in British Strong Style wrestling uh, just anybody you could think of, having a match with the Lucha Brothers and tearing the house down. He was OTT champion. He was PWG champion. He was Progress champion. He was the top of everything he did, basically. He wrestled stars from Japan. He wrestled stars from Mexico. He wrestled people from all over the world. And each and every time, I came away thinking, yup, this guy, he's the best. You know, there's nobody better. Um... And yeah, I still think that, and uh, nothing is really going to sway me from that. Just uh, his resume is, I think, untouchable in 2018. Just just a phenomenal, world-class, probably once-in-a-generation talent is Walter, and uh, I don't see anybody uh, passing him up anytime soon. Well, my number three pick, Ms. Fan's number one pick, and genuinely, arguably, one of, if not the absolute best wrestler in the world, but... Did have one more guy who tickled my fancy just a little bit more. A guy who just settles into my heart in such a way that I just I, I could not deny him this year. A man who had multiple match of the year contenders. A guy who really um, might have been a little bit more central to his one company than a guy like Walter who did a whole bunch of things everywhere. But I think he just did an admirable job in his role. My number one wrestler. 2018, probably a little bit obvious by now, but it is Zar Unbezigbar, Ilya Dragunov. I don't know what it is about this guy. He's just, I am so drawn and engaged by him, whether he's just in the ring wrestling as a character, cutting promos backstage, uh, just everything he does is just magical at this point. You know, his work as a singles guy taking on people like Walter Working against Bad Bones, um, against, you know, Absolute Andy and Bobby Guns, um, even teaming up a few times with the uh, Arrows of Hungary uh, in WXW, making appearances in uh, various British promotions as well, doing a few work, a few shows for progress, um, even becoming so uh, big and massive that he was brought in for PWG's Battle of Los Angeles, going from being a relative unknown in the world of pro wrestling to being a high profile addition to bola is uh 
I think, a pretty gnarly accomplishment for Ilya, and just every match he had in my book was just great. Um, he had, you know, that killer match with PCO. That was fantastic. He had the match against Bobby Guns, which was um, not only a really just great match, but that whole chant-off between him and Bobby Guns by mm-hmm. the fans was just... It was a sight to behold and something I have never seen and probably will never see again in pro wrestling. Uh, by the end of 2018, I just... That was my guy. I know... Maybe you want to say Walter is better. Maybe say want to say Walter has done more stuff. All of that is exceptionally valid. But I just – I love Walter to death, but I just could not overlook the things Ilya Dragunov accomplished in 2018 and the way he just engages me that the way no other wrestler maybe ever has. I don't know what it is about him, but he is my guy. He is my dude. For 2018, Ilya Dragunov is my wrestler of the year. Yeah, and uh, I think that's an exceptionally valid pick as well. Uh, I really didn't want to go with two WXW guys in the list, Mm -hmm. but uh, all things being equal, I think uh, you can easily argue Ilya is a top five contender just on the strength of his work alone. Uh, Mm. It's really been a phenomenal year for him. Uh, He's another guy who's really blown up, as you say, being brought into PWG, being really raised, I think, in the global consciousness as far as wrestling goes, and uh, mm. couldn't happen to someone uh, more worthy, I think. Uh, really just just phenomenal. So, indeed, great indeed. stuff there. Absolutely great choice. All right, and I think that brings us to the end of our uh, reflection back on 2018 and our awards for uh, last year's uh, outstanding year in pro wrestling, I must say. Great matches, great wrestlers, every promotion really just killing it with everything they did. Um, yeah, 2018 was a really solid year for pro wrestling, and I uh, personally cannot wait to see what 2019 has in store for the wrestling world. Absolutely. It's going to be great. We're going to be kicking off 2019 with some coverage of Wrestle Kingdom. Now, uh, a little bit in the past, so maybe uh, some perspective will be gained. We're going to be checking that out and uh, bringing it to you one way or the other, and uh, it's going to be some great stuff. So please join us next week for that, and then uh, on and beyond into 2019. Uh, I don't know if we'll be using the exact same format, maybe a little extra focus on some of the companies that we like and a little less uh, going out and experimenting with other things, but I would never want to lose that experimentation entirely. So we mm-hmm. will just have to see what uh, what comes in the year of 2019. Until then, Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you ever want to shout us out on Twitter, I'm at Spectral Gent. He is at Big Death Energy. That's B-I-G-D-E-F Energy. I uh, hope you will definitely give us a shout, give us a follow. Check out all the other great programs on LOP Radio. we got an excellent channel, not to mention LordsOfPain.net and LOPForums.com for a lot of great written material. Hope you'll come join the conversation there. That is everything from us. Thank you. Goodbye, 2018. Hello, 2019. It's a great time for us. It's a great time for wrestling. So please continue to join us. Until next time, we have been the global revolution. See ya.